Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You're listening to The Source with Andrea Lawful Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com and the Word Radio app. Niall Bass serves, currently serves as the DMV Regional Organizer for the League of Women Voters of the United States, overseeing strategic planning and capacity building initiatives at the DMV and national levels. In particular, she works to develop innovative programming at the League for young voters and voters of color. She's also the first black woman elected as Georgetown University student body president and just a phenomenal young lady. I have, I'm having her on for the entire year of 2024 to talk about the elections as things shift and change and grow. Good morning, young Niall. How are you? How are you? You give me such hope. Every time I see you, my soul just smiles. <laughs> That's always nice to hear. Oh, I'm just telling you. With all the shenanigans that are going on around us, you just give me so much hope. So, Niall. Uh, welcome back to the source. There's a lot going on. Who's the cutie in the background that I'm seeing? Hello, oh, sorry. That's my sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just, my room is bad for the call. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So I interviewed Jamie Harrison, you know who he is, right? The head of the, the DNC, um, at the national level and asked him a few pointed questions. He gave me this, the statistics of how well the Democratic Party is doing, that billions of dollars have been given out for student loans, that, you know, they're building infrastructure that you name the thing. He's just going back and forth. And the question I asked him was, all these good things are happening. Why is it not being communicated properly to us that we believe that the Democratic Party is doing nothing? Can you tell us what what strategies they're using now, if any, to lift the to lift the, that communication to us in the general public and where they're doing it? Well, yeah, but I think that like separate and apart from the Democratic Party, but in the partisan world in general, I feel like that's always been a struggle. I think that one, oftentimes if we're doing certain areas of work, they're not reaching a high enough population of people for it to be culturally or mainstream relevant. So when we're looking at student loan forgiveness, obviously the Biden administration is maybe navigating some of the pitfalls and like political and social obstacles that come with some of those Supreme Court rules and other kind of restrictions where, as it stands, Congress is not going to put forward any unilateral bill or legislation to forgive student loans. So we're typically doing it for, rightfully so still, for defunct uh, or false advertised universities or colleges where people weren't able to get their degrees or other forms of misalignment, right? Or those who paid or overpaid for their degree and thus kind of seeking equilibrium. And that's really important work and that's really engaging, but that's also not the majority of borrowers. And that doesn't have the same level of impact as, say, his 10K plan, which was going to take it off from a lot more people with a lot larger margins. So I think a lot of people, unfortunately, and I think sometimes rightfully so, we're engaging in politics for our own benefit. And if we're engaging for our own benefit, it's if I don't see it, it's not happening. So I think that's maybe one major pitfall. Okay. And so how do we navigate around that? We listen, listen here now. I know you know your works for the League of Women Voters. So you know at the, at the national level what's happening in this 2024 election. You know everything that's happening with Donald Trump. You hear all the conversation with Joe Biden. What are young voters saying as a direct result of all these things that are building out? Uh, uh, Trump is five, five 
five court cases he's got going uh, at one time, right? He was just, Letitia James just, uh, you know, made history, 355. You know all the things that are going on there. And then with Joe Biden, the thing that has been sticking in the craw of so many young voters and black voters in particular, who they absolutely need is what's going on with Israel and Hamas and all the children and, and families that are dying, right? As a direct result of that. How do we work around that in terms of communication to get people to understand what's happening in the country and why is it necessary to vote? Well, yeah, well, one thing I would say is that, unfortunately, in comparison to some other years when we were seeing a steady, a steady increase, not just in young voters voting, but then feeling empowered in that vote and thus having that reciprocal cycle of I feel empowered and I'm sharing that empowerment with my community. And that empowerment means that I'm not just coming to the polls in 2021. I'm coming in 2022 for presidential and then I'm coming uh, in the years between for my local and state elections. But I think as it stands, the last data that I remember from Axios is that 58 percent of Gen Z and millennials are communicating a low likelihood of getting to the ballot. And they're not sure if they're going to be voting in November. And a lot of that comes from seeing a lot of the party in the way in which we strive and kind of create a system where it's a partisan lens, where we're not necessarily talking about policy or subject areas. It's this candidate or that candidate. A lot of people are disillusioned with that. And I think that a lot of data reflects that there's equal levels of distrust with Biden and there's equal distrust with Trump. And those are essentially the two primary candidates that we have for uh, the presidential election. I think when it comes to Israel and Palestine, we have seen more data come out that's a little bit more specific. So in 2022, even though we were in the midst of the Russian uh, war in Ukraine, only 4% of young people, so that's 18 to 29, picked foreign relations as a top three issue. And that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't care about it, but it didn't rise to the level of other concerns like uh, the economy, gun violence, and climate change, right? But when we're looking to the January Economist and YouGov poll, 82% of you, so that same population, said foreign policy was somewhat or very important to them. And about half of young people say they're paying some or a lot of attention to the conflict between Israel and Palestine. And I think that's because, one, even though things in the foreign world might be connecting to first-generation students because it's implicated of their actual families, I think this actual issue is kind of being viewed more as a generational experience, similar to the Vietnam War, or other kind of social questions of if I'm evolved, it's a matter of morality and personal like values. And because in some ways, this conflict uniquely intersects with racial justice. So I think a lot of young people are seeing it as an echo of Black Lives Matter, as an echo of other forms of social advocacy, because that's kind of the way in which it's being framed on the ground by journalists, by people who are actually in those regions right. experiencing those right. conflicts. Right. And I do think that the reality of the um, Biden administration, obviously I work nonpartisanly, is mm -hmm. I don't think it's a matter of amplifying what the administration's doing. Right. I think young people know what the administration is doing. I think the administration has been very clear in that aspect and advertising its position and they're mostly dissatisfied because with that same half of young people who are saying that I'm prioritizing and taking care of and trying to monitor that conflict, mm -hmm. half are also pro ceasefire. Wow. So we see that you're not. So it's not like letting me know better. It's we don't agree. Right. And that's so having all, negative ramifications. Uh-huh. So even though you're telling me all the things that you've accomplished since you've been in office, we're seeing something that does not sit well with us, right? And despite what it looks like on either side, there's still too many of young people, too many people of color, really, that are unwilling to vote. Do you see that shifting and changing as time goes on? Because here's the other thing, Niall. 
There's so much misinformation being put out here. Artificial intelligence has taken over our social media spaces. That's taken over our lives. I see us posting things that are absolutely untrue, but it seems credible. How do we navigate around that? Well, I think it's kind of really interesting because we're talking about missing disinformation. And I think that one, AI is obviously playing a role in that. I know that the chat GPT organization just launched its new project was that it's going to be the short form media generator that can generate hyper-realistic videos for up to a minute. And they haven't actually released it to the public, but we know that that's going to have ramifications for women, unfortunately, in certain ways. That's going to have ramifications for politics because the big problem with the photos is that the photo provides evidence. And that, and we're layering that hyper-realistic video with those AI voice generators, right? So that's going to be a really complicated narrative. But I also think something that we have to kind of take the time to acknowledge is it's not really just AI. I think, for example, with Twitter, since Elon Musk bought, it's not Twitter, I guess, it's X. X. But since Elon Musk purchased X and changed some of its algorithms, there's, for example, this incentive around creator engagement. So on a monthly basis, depending on if it's positive or negative engagement, if you get a lot of engagement on your posts, you then get a payout. So what we're seeing on that platform, and it's not as big a payout on TikTok, but it is a payout in terms of actual intention and engagement, like specifically and intentionally rage-inducing content for the purposes of engagement. So it's not even necessarily that we're having a political or social discourse where people are putting forward very controversial ideas and concepts, and thus people are in dispute. It's I'm putting forward this very contentious opinion on race or this very contentious opinion on Palestinians or so on and so forth, not because I have a direct uh, engagement or hope or investment in the issue, but because I know that whether in deep agreement or in deep disagreement, I'm going to get clicks. I'm going to get likes. And so I think that's maybe one thing that we really have to be emphasizing is that even retweeting something to disavow it is amplification. So maybe you can screenshot something and take out the icon. You can reference the viral video on your platform. And so the first time that your audience is engaging with it, you're engaging with the nuance. Right. Because sometimes people aren't actually reading your, especially because they've expanded like the character limit on X. They're not reading the three paragraphs, see more, where you're breaking down why it's illegitimate. Sometimes they're just focusing on the idea. Because unfortunately, issues and commentary that is designed to isolate and create conflict is far more strategically worded, optimized for attention than the repudiations of it. So I feel like there's always people telling you to be critical, but we're kind of getting into the complicated area of not just what is critical and proper, but what is going to be logistical, which is where we're going to have to be calling on these platforms to be more consistent and to adhere more to policy. Because at some point, yes, click the article before you repost the headline. But now we're getting into the public policy area of how much of the population is going to do that. And if we know a certain population isn't, what are we doing to kind of make room or adapt to that lack? Yeah. And people aren't always doing that. So or systems aren't always doing that. I I, apply, I uh, attended a conference called Power Rising filled with black women a couple of weekends ago. It was hosted here in Philadelphia. And one of the things that they talked about is that black women are being targeted in ways through this kind of disinformation and misinformation uh, to, to the point where and they're using our brothers. 
So they're writing things about black women that have our brothers so disgusted. Our brothers are reposting, reclicking, re whatever else. And they're very concerned, these black women, that a lot of our brothers are going to be uh, voting in another way based on the things that they're seeing online when a lot of it is strategically designed to target them, to make them feel like they're not heard. And so they build this angst up in their bodies that black women don't care about them because they saw this on the internet and that on the internet and, and they repost and reclick and retweak. And so what I have been doing, just to your point, if I see something that causes, I take a picture, I post a picture, I don't click so that I don't send people to it. Um, to make, you know, so that we can have a conversation about it. Uh, but I wish a lot more of us would do that versus just clicking and resharing, clicking and resharing. And because it takes time and energy to find out what the truth is, a lot of people just believe the lie. Let's talk a little bit about black women being targeted, um, that are standing up and showing up in the political spaces. If this, as the, does the league, has the league heard anything about that? Have we been talking about this in any way? Well, yeah, I think what's really unfortunate is that when we're talking about like that rage content that I was talking about or fear mongering that is motivating people to the polls, there's still very few forces or uh, issue areas that are more motivating than racism. And fear of integration culturally, physically, not just racially, but then culturally. And especially, for example, on platforms like X, where they've removed a lot of restrictions around how racist you can be, what you can insinuate. We're now seeing more and more viral content that is suggesting whether or not uh, Norwegian men can successfully reproduce with Aboriginal women in Australia to imply that there's some type of genetic discrepancy between humans, right? And that content now gets to get thousands, if not millions of views and then retweets because we have platforms that are now more open to allowing that. And I do think that Unfortunately, it's a subsidiary of this cultural pushback to Black Lives Matter. Like this is on a larger scale. We are seeing in states like Florida and other states where we're saying we're retracting DEI. We're not trying to invest like Alcorn State University in Mississippi. We're not going to give you all of your funding or this viral. uh, There was this viral post that talked about how through Florida's new policies, which require us to get permission to like to review certain content in the classroom, one of the uh, forms was literally just a uh, teacher saying, not controversial issues, not that we were even talking about slavery, even though for us to not be able to talk about that, especially in U.S. history courses, is ridiculous, right? It literally said that we're going to be reading a book written by an African-American. And that's the notice. And so I have to get permission, not for specific content, not even for specific explicit content, but the idea that just by being written as an app written by African American requires advance notice and then permission from parents. Um, and we're here. We're here in this time. And yet we're still having conversations about whether we should vote or not. How is that even a thing? Well, you know, one thing that I will say at the league that's really important to us is emphasizing, well, I think presidential elections still have a lot of consequence, right? So it's never going to be that the league or other nonpartisan or democracy-based organizations are going to suggest people leave power at the table. This is how we talk about it, right? But people forget that as much consequence as the Trump cases are going to have, if and when he's on the ballot, or Biden as he's launching his um, second administration campaign, they have very little to do now, especially have Supreme Court uh, cases that make more and more important things like reproductive health, yes. like education and DEI, a state by state decision. Mm-hmm. They're not really making the decisions that are of consequence. So 
So that's school boards, that's aldermen, that's yes. local councils, that's yes. city boards. Even yes. if you look at organizations like Moms for Liberty and other kind of yes. spaces where we're trying to create a cultural shift, they're not going to even state elections. They're going to school board elections. Yes. They're going to school board elections in districts where their kids go to private school mm-hmm. as they dictate the public system. So I think that when people are disillusioned with Biden, there's a down ballot. So as much as I want to convince you that engaging in that national presidential conversation is important, I know you want your roads fixed. I know you want to increase in funding for your schools. I know you want that park that's been under construction for five years to actually be built for your children because now your kids have aged out of being able to use it. But you have nieces and nephews who want to. Right. That's the investment that I want people to create. If not running for office themselves, caring about who are in those local offices. Because like we're saying, that African-American history conversation is state level. That's state departments of education, which obviously we have some conflict because some of those are appointed by governors, but that's why those state elections matter. Because those state elections also touch the people who are going to be in positions of control and of power that we can't directly uh, touch as the electorate itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think they're moving a lot of those things back to the state power because we vote even less in the regular elections versus the 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 the, the, the presidential ones. Things are shifting and changing right beneath our eyes, and people are so disillusioned and disgusted. To their own detriment, they're following a lot of these things that are being posted and said, and then they don't, you know, they're like, what, what's the point of my voting? And the people who you don't want to get into office to rip everything apart are getting into office, right? People who would never thought would ever have a seat in the United States Congress or the Senate locally at the state level or at the federal level are there, are there, and they're shifting things in a way that, you know, we have to figure this out. So, you know, I, I, I'm grateful to have this conversation with you every single month, Niall. But I'm hoping that in having the conversation with you, that people begin to understand how serious this is. Whether you vote Republican, Democrat, Independent, nonpartisan, I don't care. Like, just get up and do your research and ask the questions. How important, and I, you know, how important is this particular election as far as the League of Women Voters and what they're watching and seeing happening at the federal level? Well, I think that there. From the league perspective, again, because we are uniquely nonpartisan, mm-hmm. there are concerns for some of the precedents set, especially with maybe the Trump cases, with other areas when it comes to ballot accessibility, right? Like we're still seeing the ramifications of Shelby Beholder. Mm-hmm. Like that recent case, Moore versus Harper, where they were like, hey, you can't be redistricting in ways that are, whether explicitly or implicitly, racially discriminatory, because we're losing those civil rights protections. That's changing how we're seeing policy implementation on the ground. I think even recently, the Fifth Circuit, uh, a judge on the Fifth Circuit just ruled that the um, EPA can't use a section of the Civil Rights Act to have like when Louisiana as a state is looking at different plants and seeing how those plants are impacting different communities, especially like in Cancer Alley, which just for people to know, it's on the Mississippi River. It is a community that is, I think, upwards of 90 percent. Black and brown Mm -hmm. then has abnormal rates of cancer therein, likely in connection to a lot of the illegal dumping and other forms of like environmental destruction that have kind of come legally consistent across different private industries in that area. And they said that you're not allowed to require a disparate impact analysis to see how these policies are going to impact it, because I think a direct um, quote from the holding was 
uh, what was it? Pollution doesn't discriminate. Really? So we're seeing at that federal level, this real shift in pushback in theory when it comes to equity, not just racial, but social mm-hmm. economic, that I think in the aftermath of our wins in the 60s and 70s and 80s, we didn't necessarily view as being retractable. And, but yet it's being retracted. Yeah. And has, yeah. And, and, and have gone way back from when, when people started having the conversations about it. It's even worse than then, right? Because people are putting more airtight things into place to stop these things from ever happening again. Niall, and, I don't uh, know. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, and one thing I really do want to emphasize, and this is not partisanship. This is just clear. The Heritage Foundation put out Project 2025. And it's a plan that depending on who is in the office next, how they can fundamentally shift and break down American culture and American policymaking, not by elections, but by changing government staff, by changing the people who work not in those appointed political roles, but the people in health and human services, the people in the Justice Department, career civil servants, switching them out ideology and then going to the judiciary system to shift culture by shifting precedent. Because if we notice the conversation that we're seeing, I really want to emphasize this, it's very important to vote. But when we look at some of the organizations and what I view as negative waves of cultural degression and where they're going, they're not going to the spaces where the electorate can directly touch them. It's no longer a conversation of who we put in the office. I want to get judicial president, which means you can't. I want to change the non-elected people who hold up the federal government who decide, are we going to be investigating this school for racial equity? Are we going to be maintaining this program that transitions teen pregnant mothers or kids and children coming out of foster care into adulthood into career programs? Those decisions that we don't stun the day to day that aren't as advertised because we view them as so mechanical and inherent to our system because we have these career civil servants who are dedicating themselves to the work, regardless of who's in the presidential election. That's what they're trying to change out. Please, Louise. Niall? My girl, thank you. Thank you so much. We're learning more and more. And, you know, that part makes sense, because if they can't win by winning the elections, they can go ahead and shift out the people that are doing the the day to day things that would impact us. That does not require voting in an election. That is sinister as hell. And there's because there's some control. There's some. Sorry, I feel like I'm interrupting you. I'm sorry, because there were some cultural wars that they've lost, like the cultural war on gay marriage. They lost in terms of mainstream acceptance, in terms of legal rights and protections. Black Lives Matter. Obviously, I wish we saw more longstanding, deep and intimate policy procedural change as a result of that. But culturally, that was a success. The pushback on that wasn't as severe, didn't have equal ramifications. Mm -hmm. So it's messed up, but it's similar to why people gerrymandered. Because then I don't actually have to win your vote. Yes. Then I can just, you know, I change your district. So it doesn't nah, actually nah. Hold on one <laughs> second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You are listening. Ooh, see, see why she's on the air with me? You are listening to The Source on WURD Progressive Black Talk Media on air and online at wordradio.com. I am Andrea Lawful Sanders. We will be back with the brilliant Nile Bass right after these messages. You're listening to The Source with Andrea Lawful Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com. 
and the Word Radio app. Welcome back to The Source on WURD for <laughs> Progressive Black Talk Media on air and online at wordradio.com. If you're just joining us, I am Andrea Lawful Sanders, your host, Mondays through Fridays from 5 to 7 a.m. Go look up project25.org and you will see everything that she's talking about. Now, tell them exactly who uh, the Heritage Foundation is and why does project25.org is necessary in what's happening today in our country. Yeah, and so I hate to fearmonger on my way out, but if it gets people to go to the polls, at least talk about it at the barbershop and we'll do it. So basically, the Heritage Foundation is a think tank that is working in collaboration with a lot of other partners. So the Turning Point USA that's ran by Charlie Kirk, who is his own preacher, several other people. And its goal is to really reshape the federal government and the executive branch, not just to expedite conservative values, but Trump's conservative values or that corner of very radical, very specific policy. And just to kind of give some concepts about what the plan is proposing, it's planning slashes to the U.S. Department of Justice's funding. It wants to dismantle the FBI. It wants to gut environmental and climate change regulations in favor explicitly. It says this for fossil fuel production. They want to eliminate the cabinets of education and commerce. There's an undercurrent of invoking the, uh, the Insurrection Act of 1807, which would allow them to deploy the military for domestic law enforcement and direct the DOJ to not just go after matters of actual relevance to justice, but Trump's adversaries. It's like a book of policy recommendations, but because there are upwards of 80 organizations, so long-term think tanks, hats, things that are very big in political infrastructure that if I say that I'm behind this, this has some consequence to the political landscape, this is the plan. And it's and it's right there in writing. And what we're doing about it, nothing. We're just kind of watching what's unfolding. Well, there's a lot of wonderful organizations. So you have Democracy Forward, which uh, fights for progressive rights through litigation. They're pushing back against that. You have the League of Women Voters, the NAACP. A lot of people are pushing towards it. And I think it's important for the organizations to do it. But it's also for it's also for us to know. Right. So we want our institutions to be pushing against it. But we don't want to leave it to our institutions, because I do think that a lot of negative things that have really negative ramifications for the American people are done in spaces and in forms where they think we aren't. And I think what's really important is like if Biden wins re-election, whether you like him or not, this isn't going into play. Depending on the Republican who won the primary, it wouldn't go into play. But I think it's not just important to think about what is politically possible, but what they view as politically viable. Like, what do they tell their audiences that makes them excited? And whether or not you can ban abortion nationally, if they feel comfortable saying it and where they view their only being political support rather than political consequence, that's a problem. Because they're telling you what they think is actually viable, what's expedient. Wow. And so many millions and millions of people are buying into this stuff. And believe it will make their America better. Um, you want to get rid of the education department, the Department of Justice, get rid of the FBI, uh, invoke the insurrection. What? So you can deploy the military. Do we realize what the hell is coming down our way? I, I, do we even see it? Or we just think this stuff will never, ever happen? Now, just tell the people how they can find you, darling. <laughs> yeah, so you can find me on the League of Women Voters uh, staff site. My uh, email's listed. I have a lot of calls this um 
upcoming year every month where and we're start we're going to be starting to advertise those um publicly in March around young voter work so specifically what is the data and opinions of young people going into 2024? Mm-hmm. How does reproductive health inform young people? Mm-hmm. How does queer and LGBTQ politics inform that population of young people? A lot of important breakdowns of demographics for how and when and what we're seeing from young voters and how we can continue to have them engaged. Niall, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I need you to stay safe out here. You're giving I'll try. information. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving information um, that a lot of people have been ignoring and not really talking about. And so we're going to delve into it. I need you all to go check out project25.org. Go do your reading, understand what it is that they're doing. And she's absolutely correct. This has been going on for decades where they have their super PACs. You'll ne- you'd have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig to find out who's actually behind the original pack because they're very good at covering their tracks. And so while we're sitting and talking about things that make no sense, go back and learn, please, I'm begging you about what is actually what these people are actually talking about and what they're invoking that they're hoping that we won't even pay attention to as we go into this 2024 election. Now, thank you, my sister. We'll see you next month. Okay. Always. Thank you. All right. Bye bye, honey. Bye bye. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.